over a period spanning the last one year or more, we have at different times been speaking about the church of the living God. We have spoken of the church in terms of whether or not it still has power. You remember that? We have spoken of the church as a household, family of God. You remember that? And we have most recently spoken of the church as a tabernacle of David rebuilt. We now want to look at the book of the Acts of the Apostles, which is the historical book of the New Testament, and which documents the early days or beginnings of the church of the living God, spanning a period of 30 years. The book, the book of Acts spans the, the history of the church over a 30-year period, following the death, resurrection, and ascension of the Lord Jesus Christ. The book documents the message, mission, and ministry of the church. As we look at this book, we will see the message of the church. The message that the church is supposed to carry. We will see the mission of the church. We will see the ministry of the church. And this book in reality is a documentation of the acts of the Holy Spirit in and through the apostles and the early Christians. So we see the Holy Spirit buffing the church. And breathing upon, directing, appointing, and so on and so forth, its leaders. We see the Holy Spirit moving men to do things. I don't know about you, but I, 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 I crave for that time again. Amen. When the Spirit of God is the one moving, doing His work. When men cease from carrying the church. We also see in the book of the Acts of the Apostles, the power, the passion, the prayer. The progression and the persecution of the church. The church still has power, brethren. Some may lack it. But the church of the living God still has power. The church still has passion. The passion for souls. Not the passion for building projects. But the passion for discipling men and women. Oh, the church has a prayer life. And when the church prays, things happened in the book of the Acts. There has to be a revival again. Amen. The church today must do that. Amen. We see the progression of the church. As it were from an acorn to a massive tree. Stretching beyond Judea. It started from Jerusalem, went beyond Judea. Got onto Samaria as the Lord had directed and told them. And went all over the world. First it went to the Galatian parts. Then it entered into Europe. And then entered into Africa. And so on and so forth. Australia went to the extreme parts of the world. The church must have that kind of progression. Amen. We're going to see the passion. Or the, 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 the passion of the church. Passion is something you can die for. Not something you can kill for. But you can die for it. The passion of the church is seeing souls who came from nothing, standing in the Lord. Not standing in wealth, standing in the Lord. We have so many men in society today disgracing the body of Christ, carrying the tag Christian, which means nothing. Then we will see the persecution of the church. There is no way the church will, of, the, of the living God will be revived again. And it will not be persecuted. It has started in America. But the Americans don't understand it. So instead they are busy talking to congressmen and trying to make laws. You can't legislate against your persecution. It will happen. It's God's way 
of weeding out noisemakers and empty barrels. That's God's way of trimming down the church, the excess fat that is in the church. Persecution is part of it. The book of the Acts of the Apostles gives us the foundation of the church upon which we are expected to build. In 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 1 to 15. Let me read that. 1 Corinthians 3, 1 to 15. And I, brethren, could not speak to you as to spiritual people, but as to carnal, as to babes in Christ. I fed you with milk and not with solid food. For until now you were not able to receive it, and even now you are still not able. For you are still carnal. For where there are, there are envy, strife, and divisions among you, are you not carnal and behaving like mere men? The church is not inhabited by mere men. The church is inhabited by spirit beings, by spiritual men. And so Paul is addressing them and saying, Look, I need to speak to you as for carnal, because if you guys are just acting carnal, there's division. Verse 4, For when one says, I am of Paul, another I am of Apollos, are you not carnal? When then, who then is Paul? Who is Apollos? But ministers through whom you believed, as the Lord gave to each one. I planted, Apollos watered, but God gave the increase. Many of us will stay and die in the church where we have been planted and will never receive the water to grow. Because another person has to water. It may not be in that church, it may be somewhere else. But today, it's as if people's surname is a particular church. And that's what we are doing. We cannot, we cannot even sit down to listen to a message from God. I'm not talking of a, any a message from God from somebody else. We don't have the capacity to hear. I planted Apollos watered, but God gave the increase. So then neither he who plants is anything, nor he who waters, but God who gives the increase. Now he who plants and he who waters are one, and each one will receive his own reward according to his own labor. For we are God's fellow workers. You are God's field. You are God's building. According to the grace of God, which was given to me as a wise master builder, I have laid the foundation and another builds on it. But let each one take heed how he builds on it. For no other foundation can anyone lay than that which is laid, which is Jesus Christ. Let's, the rest you can, you can read that later. There's a foundation that has been laid. And we must build on that foundation. In Ephesians chapter 2, Ephesians chapter 2, Verse 19 to 22. Ephesians 2, 19 to 22. Now therefore, you are no longer strangers and foreigners, but fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God. That is the church, the family of God. Having been built on what? The foundation of the apostles and prophets. The doctrines of the apostles and the prophets. What is their doctrine? It's found in the Bible. The epistles. They lay the foundation for us. We don't preach or teach anything outside of that. That is the foundation that we have. We build on it. We cannot separate ourselves from it and say we want to. We have a new revelation and want to teach something else. The apostles and, and prophets themselves built on what? The foundation that Christ had laid in bringing and giving us explanation of the Old Testament. And making the Old Testament, removing the obsolete parts. He being the one who had taken the place of those parts. And then the others are part of it. So when people quarrel, there are churches that say, we don't even discuss the Old Testament in our church. That is not the church of the living God. Because I want you to know that throughout the book of the Acts of the Apostles, their scripture 
was the Old Testament. What we call the New Testament today is a new thing. It started, it, 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 it became a part of the Bible. Let's, let's just say about 300 years after Christ had died, resurrected, and ascended. In verse 21 it says, In whom the whole body, being fitted together, grows into a holy temple, in whom you also are being built together for a dwelling place of God in the Spirit. What are we being built to be? The place where God, you remember we said, it's not, God is not interested in the visitation. What does He want? A habitation. We are being built for God to come and dwell in us. We have lost the essence of church. Church has become a society, a cult. We just go to church. We try to be holy when we go to church. Where is God in the church? God is in your heart. If we had an understanding that God was with us and that all we did was to come together to gather, the same holiness we came to try and be in church, we would be elsewhere. And in Matthew chapter 16, 13 to 19, we see where the Lord Jesus said, I will build my church upon this rock, this truth that I am the son of the living God, the savior of the world. Upon this will I build my church and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. When the church is sitting properly on that foundation of Christ as the, the be all and everything of the church. No demon anywhere can unsettle that church. Churches suddenly, you just see churches mushroom out. And before you know what, so just like the mushroom, they wither away. They make so much, they make so much, they make so much, after a while, it's gone. Why? What has given rise to all of that? They were not built properly on the foundation of Christ. Some were built properly on the foundation of Christ. But others came and said, no, 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 we don't like what they are doing. They moved away and started building something else. If you ask John Wesley, if it was possible for us to see him today and ask him, is this the Methodist church you envisaged? He will tell you, that's not what I set up. Ask the, 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 the early apostles, is, is this the church that God gave you revelation of? They'll say, ah, we don't know what people are doing now. Ask Simon Peter that they claim to be the first pope of the Catholic church. He will tell you, he doesn't even know what is called Catholic. Paul didn't, Peter didn't start the church in Rome. Church in Rome was started by people who were travelers and they, they got in Rome and they started the church. What was the church? The church were people who gathered together. What is the church? We are going to see that. We, we, have, we have completely turned everything upside down. So we continue. Not building on this foundation that has already been laid is clearly contrary to what is expected of us by the Godhead. You go to some churches, what they do from morning till night is to talk about people whom they've helped. That is the philanthropic place. That's not the church of God. You go to another church, they tell you about your, how you can enjoy your best life here on the earth. That's not the church of God. The church of God isn't talking about having your best life here. Your best life is over there. It's not here. This is, this is, a, a, this is a, what, what you call the workshop of God where we are being shaped to fit into a slot in heaven. Today we are living life as though everything starts and finishes here on the earth. But there is more than the earth. We are kept here so that we can grow, have our rough edges smoothened out, but then we can also go out and, 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 and speak to people about the gospel. You may, they may not come to Christ immediately, but at least you have spoken to them about the gospel. You have laid a foundation, you have sown a seed. As we study this book, we can see and apply the pattern for the church today, as well as discard all unscriptural practices. 
So we go to our text, Acts chapter 1, verse 1 to 3. Acts chapter 1, verse 1 to 3. The former account I made, O Theophilus, of all that Jesus began both to do and teach until the day in which he was taken up after he, through the Holy Spirit, had given commandments to the apostles whom he had chosen, to whom he also presented himself alive after his suffering or his passion by many infallible proofs, being seen by them during 40 days and speaking of the things pertaining to the kingdom of God. In today's study, we shall be introducing the book of the Acts of the Apostles by focusing on the author and audience of the book, which is to be found in the very first verse of the book. It is our prayer that the Holy Spirit will give us understanding of the message He wants us to receive in Jesus' name. So we want to look at the author and audience of the book of the Acts of the Apostles. Without contradiction, the human author of the book of the Acts of the Apostles is Luke, a physician or medical doctor in today's nomenclature. However, there is more that we want to learn from the authorship of the book of the Acts of the Apostles. We also find that the audience is one Theophilus, who is only mentioned twice in the Bible. The introduction, that is in the introduction of the Gospel of Luke, and the book of the Acts of the Apostles. We shall be learning a thing or two about this as well. So let's begin as we look at Luke chapter 1, from verse 1 to 4. Remember that in Acts 1, Luke makes, makes reference to a former account. The, the old King James says former treatise, right? A former account of something. So let's look at that former account from verse 1 to 4. Inasmuch as many have taken in hand to set in order a narrative of those things which have been fulfilled among us, just as those who from the beginning were eyewitnesses and ministers of the word delivered them to us, it seemed good to me also having had perfect understanding of all things from the very first, to write to you an orderly account, most excellent Theophilus. We come again, again, again to this man called Theophilus. Here. These are the only two places mentioned. This verse 3 of Luke and verse 1 of Acts chapter 1. Verse 4. That you may know, see why he wrote Luke that you may know the certainty of those things in which you were instructed. Do you see that this gospel was not there when they instructed this man? The gospel wasn't there. But he wrote it to this Theophilus. And we are going to see something about this fellow called Theophilus. And of course we have read Acts chapter 1 verse 1. So we know that it was Luke. Because this is Luke. Writing Luke 1, 1 to 4. And it is also Luke writing Acts chapter 1. And of course the book of Acts. So Luke wrote it, right? What is the significance of Luke writing this thing? Even though we're not, we're, we're not reading there yet, let's look at it. Colossians chapter 4 verse 14. Colossians chapter 4 verse 14. Colossians 4 14. Luke, the beloved physician, and Demas greet you. It's not interesting that Demas is mentioned there as greeting somebody. But later we hear of Demas... But Luke is called what the beloved physician. We are coming to that. Let's quickly go to Second Peter chapter 1, verse 20 to 21. We, we, want to, 
want to uh, draw something out here. Because we are saying Luke wrote it. Luke wrote it, right? So let's draw something from here. In Second Peter 1, 20-21, Peter writes, says, Knowing this first, that no prophecy of Scripture, what's prophecy of Scripture here now? It's talking of the word. The spoken word or the written word as directed by God. No prophecy of scripture is of any private interpretation. You cannot jump up and give interpretation. Do you understand that? I think we've said this one time when, when we're, looking, we're looking at a particular thing some years ago. And we made mention that the Bible does not require anybody to give an interpretation outside of the Bible. You remember that? And we said that the Bible interprets itself. If you search the scriptures enough, you will see the interpretation of that thing in the scriptures. The New Testament was written to explain the Old Testament. So when you find the Old Testament, something in the Old Testament, if you search the New Testament enough, you will see it there. Verse 21. For or because prophecy never came by what? The will of man. So even though Luke has written this, that having gone through this, I thought... That I should write it. The Bible is saying, uh uh-uh. uh. Luke didn't write this thing according to his own will. But holy men of God spoke, and we can add, wrote, as they were moved by who? Very critical. Very critical that we understand these things. I hear people, because this knowledge is missing, I hear people making mention of human authors and sticking it to the human authors and by so doing, being able to negate what has been written. Paul said this. Don't mind Paul. He didn't understand what we are saying. When Luke wrote this, it seems that he he must have been intoxicated. We, We now ascribe a humanity which they didn't possess to them so that we can discredit their authorship. I've used this illustration before. If you ask me to appear at a meeting and I cannot come, and I say to my secretary, take a note. Secretary takes a note and I dictate the message to the secretary. I say to you, Madam, you go or give it to someone. I say, you go and represent me. Whose speech is it? I, I dictated the thing that the man went to read. He just went to read it. But it's my, it's my speech. It's the same thing we are seeing here. Luke was directed by the Spirit of God to document it. So we must understand that the Gospel of Luke and the book of the Acts, though having a human author, its real author is who? The Holy Spirit. Not only are we talking of Luke and Acts of the Apostles, but every single book that is inside this Bible. Don't let men, because I've heard men come up with this argument, the Bible itself that we call the Bible today started in Nicene. It was in Nicene that they began to bring all these letters together and they sat down and did this. It was even uh, Constantine who brought it. Do you know that God can use anybody to do what he wants to do? Constantine told them and said, look, you guys are, you guys are having two, there are two, there's division in the church. Can we have one purpose? What, is, what do we believe? They sat down at Nicene and came up with a creed. I believe in God the Father, Jesus Christ the Son, the Holy Spirit, the Trinity in this, I believe in this, I believe in the, in the death, the resurrection, the ascension of Jesus Christ. That was when they wrote what we believe. They wrote it as a creed. It was at that nice thing that they also decided, what do we call scripture? 
what must we call scripture? The Old Testament didn't have a problem. It was already in, in book long before then. They already had a Greek version of it. So they just took it in and removed some books that they said, mm, this one lacks inspiration. They asked, who wrote it? Number one, who, who, who were the human authors? They had had to be people who had been in, for the New Testament, who had been in close contact with Jesus Christ. Or who were disciples, immediate disciples of disciples of Christ. That is how Luke got him. Because Luke was a disciple of Paul. And we know Paul, even though he was not with Christ when Christ was in the human form, we know how close he was to Christ itself. And we know that Paul was the human author of almost half of the, of the New Testament if you remove Hebrews. If you add Hebrews, half of the New Testament written by, by Paul. And there's, a, there's, a, there's one fellow in Lagos. If you go to his website, he has a section of his website de- devoted to finishing Paul. And he says he's a preacher. He's fighting Paul left, right and center. And I'm wondering what's wrong with this fellow. Because you don't want to live by it, we look for a way of throwing it away. Let's, let's move on from there now. So we, we recognize that Luke wrote it as a human author, but it's the Holy Spirit who directed it to be written. Okay. Now, we have read in Colossians 4.14 that Luke was a physician. But what is Luke known for the most? Is it as a medical doctor? How was he known? What was he known for? As a minister of God. One who wrote the Gospel of Luke. One who wrote Acts of the Apostles. One who was in the party of Paul as they were going about documenting. That's how he's known. In Luke chapter 5, verse 10, Luke chapter 5 verse 10. We are going somewhere with this. Luke chapter 5 verse 10. The Bible says, And so also were James and John, the sons of Zebedee, who were partners with Simon. And Jesus said to Simon, Do not be afraid. From now on you will catch men. Peter was a fisherman. Was he known for catching a fish? What did they know him? What, what do we know Peter for? We know him as the one who went about catching men, expanding the gospel, expanding the kingdom of God. That's what we know him for. If you go to Amos chapter 7, verse 11 to 15, you will find something there in Amos. Amos the prophet. This was Amaziah the priest from verse 11. It says, For thus Amos has said, Jeroboam shall die by the sword, and Israel shall surely be led away captive from their own land. Then Amaziah said to Amos, Go, you seer, flee to the land of Judah. There eat bread and there prophesy. But never again prophesy at Bethel. For it is, the, it is the king's sanctuary. Not God's sanctuary. It is the king's sanctuary. And it is the royal residence. Then Amos answered and said to Amaziah, I was no prophet, nor was I a son of a prophet. But I was a sheep breeder and a tender of sycamore fruit. Then the Lord took me as I followed the flock. And the Lord said to me, Go! Prophesy to my people Israel. Today we, we know of Amos, right? How do we know of Amos? Because he wrote the book of Amos. We don't know Amos as an, agricultural, as an agriculturist. We don't know him as a cattle rearer. We don't know him as a, as a, as a breeder of, or what do you call him now? A horticulturist. Taking care of sycamore tree or sycamore fruit. We know him as a prophet of God. The point we are trying to make here is that God has always picked men and used them away from their known profession and known vocation and has made them renowned in doing His work. 
rather than in doing their profession. In 2 Corinthians chapter 5 verse 17, 2 Corinthians chapter 5 verse 17, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is what? A new creation. All things have passed away. Behold, how many things? Have become all things. That profession you are holding on to. That vocation you want to die for. That career that you believe that without this career I'm not going to amount to anything. That thing is an old thing. It will pass away. A new thing will come. And that new thing is what God has called you to do. There are people who play the keyboard. Beautiful for them playing keyboard. Because they have the talent of music. But you know that their renown will not be in that thing. Because that is not, it is a talent that they just like. Their renown will be in whatever it is that God has called them to do. I studied urban regional planning. One of my ambitions in life was to be able to plan. I actually wanted to come to Port Harcourt and replan Port Harcourt for them. And make Port Harcourt a proper city. That people will be the envy of the world. Is that what I'm doing now? Yeah. That's not my calling. Let's leave it to the politicians. They won't get it right, but don't worry, leave it to them. Let them be doing it. But you go and preach the gospel. In verse 15 of the same Second Corinthians chapter 5, look at what it says. It says, And he died for all that those, this is where the, that those who live should do what? Live no longer for themselves, but for him who died for them and rose again. We cease to live for ourselves. We begin to live for Him. If any man be in Christ, he is what? A new creation. Created anew. Afresh. Sin taken away. A new man has come. A man that has no sin. In Ephesians chapter 4. Ephesians chapter 4. Verse 24. The Bible says, And you put on the new man which was created according to God in true righteousness and holiness. I would like other translations of that, verse 24, so that you can understand what we are talking about, about the new man. Because this doesn't really do justice to what is being said here. Ephesians 4.24. Amplify it, please. Ephesians 4.24. And put on the new nature, the regenerate, the, the regenerate self, Created in God's image. Created what? In God's, in God's image. God-like in true righteousness and holiness. God-like. Created in God's image. The point we are trying to draw out here is that who has another translation that maybe expands it properly? Living Bible. Let's hear what Living Bible has to say to us. 24. Yes, you must be a new and different person. <laughs> Holy <laughs> and good. <laughs> Clothe yourself with this new nature. With this new nature. Is there another translation that does it do? Get rid of it and then take on an entirely new way of life. A God fashioned life. Wait. An entirely new way of life. A God fashioned life. A life renewed from the inside and working itself into your conscience. Please, wait, wait, wait. A life renewed where? From the inside. And working yourself, working itself where? Into your conduct as God accurately produces his character in you. As God produces what? His nature, his character in you. That's the point he's saying here. The message. Praise the name of the Lord. So when we say all things have become new, you are new not just in your nature, your character, 
everything, including your assignment is new. Before you got born again, you went to school to study something. Should I not study again? No, go and study. God is keeping you in incubation, pending when you are needed to do the work. Go and do the studies that you need to do. But note that when God calls you, that thing may not be what you would need anymore. Luke, who knew that Luke could write 24 chapters and still have the, the, the stamina to write another 28 chapters of Acts 24 in Luke, 28 in Acts? And details. But when you read Acts, when you read Luke, you see him giving detailed accounts. More detailed than Matthew and Mark. And God had a purpose. Luke was a Gentile. Of all the people who wrote in the New Testament, Luke is singled out as the only Gentile. All the others were Jews. God had a purpose for his life. But in the interim, he was studying medicine. He graduated from the school of medicine and was a practicing physician until he met with the Lord. And then, found himself hitched to the, to the carriage of Paul. And afterwards, we find him documenting accounts. After spending time, they say, no, no, I think, having read this, I need to document this thing and, and send to Theophilus so that he can be encouraged. He can have a certainty, an assurance of the thing that he has been taught that indeed these things are so. We were not there when Jesus walked this, the face of the earth. But as we study, the, the, as we look at the book of Luke, we are assured in our hearts that these things are indeed so. Praise the name of the Lord. So, that is about the authorship. The man who wrote the book was not a literature major. He was a medical doctor. But he wrote the book. Now let's go to the audience. The audience is one Theophilus. The Acts of the Apostles was not the first communication of Luke to Theophilus. We've seen that. It was actually the second. Because he had written to Theophilus. In fact, in the first one, he described him as most excellent Theophilus. But do you know that for somebody who is described as most excellent Theophilus, we don't have, an, we don't have a history of that fellow. If he was a most excellent Theophilus, he must have been a very wealthy man, a known man. But nobody seemed to have known him in any way. He didn't appear anywhere. So we don't know. So what do we, what do we, what do we, what do we aver? What can we infer from this, this uh, statement of, of Paul, or of uh, Luke, concerning Theophilus? We are going to have to look at certain things. Number one, Theophilus is a Greek name. So he wasn't Jew. He wasn't a Jew. He, w- he would have been a Greek. Or what, we, what in, in those days, they would have called him a Gentile. So we have a Gentile writing to a Gentile. Matthew wrote to Jews. That's why you find Matthew a lot of times saying that it might be fulfilled that was written. Because the Jews knew what was written. But the Gentiles didn't know what was written. Mark is believed to have taken his own, a, a combination of his, his own and what Peter said. And Mark was more interested in the miracles and the things happening. So you see, you hear a lot of immediately, instantly. That's the kind of thing you hear in Mark. Just 16 chapters. John, we know him to have been the el- John the Elder who leaned on Jesus' breast. John's gospel is completely different from all the, the, the other ones. John went straight. He didn't talk about the bath, the, the wise men, the an- annunciation. He didn't go into that. He just went straight to be discussing Christ. How John came preaching and Christ. In fact, how did John start? In the beginning was the world. And the word was with God, and the word was God. The same was with God in the beginning. There was nothing made that was made without Him. 
And so it goes on and on and on and on and on until you get to verse 14. And he said, in him was life and the life was the light. No, oh, that's verse 9. That's uh, verse, verse, verse 4. Or verse, uh, verse 4. That's verse 4. He got to a place, I think in verse 14, where he said, Grace and truth was of this Jesus. He, he dwelled among us. We saw him, this word became flesh. And we, we, we touched him. We beheld his glory as of the only begotten of the Father. Full of grace and truth. That's how, that's how John, John, John begins. But here, you're not writing a theological book. He's writing something to a Gentile. And so he writes it that way. So Theophilus was a Gentile. We are going somewhere with this. Because we are going to establish that Theophilus is you and I. So even though the audience is written to, the book is written to a Theophilus. Theophilus can be you and I. He was a Gentile, we are Gentiles. Right? He was a Gentile Christian, we are Gentiles. Now when you look at the word Theophilus in the Greek, the meaning in English is lover of God. Romans chapter 8 verse 28. Romans chapter 8 verse 28. And we know that all things work together for good to those who love God, to those who are the called according to His purpose. All things work together for good to those who are. Who are those people? The Theophilus, right? They are the lovers of God. You and I. Second Timothy chapter 3. Second Timothy chapter 3, verse 1, 2, and 4. But know this, that in the last days, perilous times will come. For men will be lovers of themselves. Acts was not addressing lovers of themselves. Lovers of money. Is it there in your Bible? Acts was not addressing lovers of money. So all those people who have gathered lovers of self and lovers of money into a building and call it church, they cannot understand the book of Acts. It wasn't written to them. That is why they have to go to Harvard and go to business schools to bring out those doctrines and teach them business methods. Acts is not teaching you business methods. It's teaching you the word of God. Boasters, proud, blasphemers, disobedient to parents, unthankful, unholy. Verse 4. Traitors, headstrong, haughty, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God. Acts was not written to lovers of pleasure. So, the book of Acts that discusses the church of God is not a book that can be discussed in an atmosphere or in an environment where comedians hold sway. Or where men and women who love pleasure hold sway. It's for lovers of God. Theophilus may actually have been a nickname because in those days, when the church was facing persecution, they did not use an open expression of a believer. They used nicknames for believers. Acts chapter 9 verse 2. You will see what I'm trying to talk about here now. Acts chapter 9 verse 2. And Acts, this is Paul when he was going to and Acts letters from him to the synagogues of Damascus so that if he found any who were of the way. That's, a, that's a, another nickname that the, that the believers used. Who, was, who were they referring to of the way? Christ. You remember what Jesus Christ said in John 14? I am the way, the truth. They were referring to found any who were those who were of Christ. Do you understand that now? It was a nickname that Christians bought, the way. But there's one film that my, life, my wife loves to watch, Covadis. 
And in that cover, the, 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 one of the things the Christians used to identify themselves was the sign of the fish. And they said, if you, if you look at the name, there's something, whether they said the name of Jesus or something, there was something like Jesus Christ, the Son of God, or something like that. That in the Greek, if you pick the initials of Jesus Christ, the Son of God, it spells fish. So the Christians were quite resourceful in those days. Today, it's sad. My wife was telling me that, uh, oh, they, put, they, they sent some things to her on her Facebook page. Was it Facebook or WhatsApp page or something? Of um, Christians in China, on the, the underground church on China, and showing their faces and putting it on the internet. What are you doing? Are you helping that church? Do you see, do you see how stupid we are? Sorry to use that expression, but I mean, it's sad. These ones were wise to use nicknames. We are just speaking. We just carry video. We show it. Ah, look at what they are doing in Libya. Look at what they are doing in, um, in, in Dubai. Look at what they are doing in... Uh, we are talking of underground churches where people shouldn't know that they exist. And we are showing their faces. And these people have technology of facial recognition. But they use nicknames. Acts chapter 24, verse 14 and verse 22. But this I confess to you, that according to the way which they call a sect, do you see now how they, how, how they describe themselves? The way which they call what? A sect. So I worship the God of my fathers, believing all things which are written in the law and in the prophets. Here the, the, the Sanhedrin were saying that he was worshipping beyond, he was worshipping um, a different God. I said, no. You people call the way a sect, but the way actually worships God. According to the law, that is the Old Testament. For them, that was the scripture. So according to scripture. So I worship God according to scripture. The way is not just a sect. That is Christ. Look at verse 22 of the same chapter 24 of Acts. But when Felix heard these things, having more accurate knowledge of the way, this is Luke writing, they understood what the way was in their time. Go to Second John. Second John is just a one chapter book. So what you have one to two there are the verses. Second John verses 1 and 2. The elder, this is John writing, the elder, to the elect lady and her children, whom I love in truth, and not only I, but also all those who have known the truth, because of the truth which abides in us and will be with us forever. Who is the elect lady? It's the church. Who are the children? The Christians. So the elect lady is like the pastor. So if you come to a place and say, who is the elect lady? You see men. Can you say it's, the, it's, the, it's a lady? It's not it's a man. So they, used, they, they knew how to use nicknames to cover up things. In Acts chapter 11, verse 26, the day we get there, we'll be able to discuss that one. But for now, let's just mention it. Acts eleven twenty-six. And when he had found him, this is Barnabas had found Saul of Tarsus, he brought him to Antioch. So it was that for a whole year they assembled with the church and taught a great many people and the disciples, what do they call them? The disciples were first called what? Christians in Antioch. The word Christian was actually a nickname. Now, there are many ways of looking at it. Some people said they, 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 said they looked like Christ. Some other people said that it was actually in a derogatory name. But the Christians wore it with pride. It was a name of derision. But they wore it with pride. That we can be, we can. It's like saying, uh, who's a, who's, what notorious arm robber do we have in Nigeria? Did we have that has been executed? 
Aneni. Okay, you have Aneni. We, 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 those of us who are much older, we remember what's that fellow's name? Inshallah, Yenusi. We remember Yenusi. And a notorious Amraba who was, who was using charms in Lagos in those days. But that kind of name. And then you say, uh, don't worry, it's Aneni's brother. Because of the execution. Not because of any other, because of the execution. So they, so they, and they took it on. They said, don't worry. We wear it. We are Christians. Yes. We are of Christ. Yes. We are of the way. So they took it as a nickname. Unlike what we do today. Where we, we now talk of Christianity as though oh, it is something for show. So what are we saying here? We are saying that the audience, that the real writer, the Holy Spirit, was writing the book of Acts to is who? To you and I. We are the Theophilosis of today. Praise the name of the Lord. Now, there's one other thing that I need to, to mention at this point. Let's even assume, let's go with an argument that this scripture was written to Theophilus alone. And we go with that argument. You will discover that it wasn't written to Theophilus alone. Let me show you some scriptures. Mark chapter 13, verse 37. Mark 13, 37. This was where the Lord Jesus, in, in the book of Mark, was talking about the last days. What will happen in the last days? In verse 37, I just want to maybe you go home and read in context. In verse 37, what I say to you, I say to as long as Luke had written to Theophilus and it had become public knowledge, what was written to Theophilus was written to who? So, any way you want to look at the argument, this book was written to us. Go to John chapter 17. John chapter 17, verse 20 and 21. This is the Lord Jesus when he was praying for his disciples. He said, I do not pray for these alone, but also for those who will believe in me through their word. The prayer that the Lord Jesus prayed in John 17 was not just for Peter, James, John, Andrew, Thomas, and so on and so forth. He prayed it for you and I. He prayed it for the fellow who will get born again next year. In verse 21, that they all, who are they all now? We here today may be one, as you, Father, are in me and I in you, that they also may be one in us, that the world may believe that you sent me. Why is the world not believing that God sent Jesus? Because we are not one. There's a division in the body. Many of us are eager to see this church grow. And we don't understand what that growth means. My eagerness to see this church grow is to see each one grow. As far as I'm concerned, this church has grown when each one of us can preach this word with passion, with fervor, can withstand persecution and not fall. That's when this church has grown. Even if we are two. Remember what I said before. That the strength of the church is in the weakest member. A church is as strong as the weakest member. Why gather 10,000 and the one of those, uh, 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 several of those 10,000 cannot even stand, hey, they will fall. Is that church a strong church? It's a weakling. By now, it should become clear that it is painstaking assignment to really grow a church as it should be grown. Every believer in Christ, based on what we have looked at now, must begin at the Gospels and be assured of it. You must be assured of the good news of the kingdom. That's what Luke wrote to, to Theophilus, to you and I. Let's go back to Luke chapter 1, verse 4. 
that you may know the certainty of these things in which you were instructed. We must therefore begin at the gospel. We must begin at the gospel. What is the gospel? The good news of the kingdom. The, we, we, must, we come in through the gospel. But then we must graduate into experiencing the acts of the Holy Spirit in our lives. We don't stay at the gospel. Theophilus began with the gospel. And Luke said, no, 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 no. We can't stop at the gospel. If you go to the last part of Luke, Luke chapter 24 you will see that there was an unfinished business there. Let's read from verse 50. And he led them out as far as Bethany, and he lifted up his hands and blessed them. Now it came to pass, while he blessed them, that he was parted from them and carried up into heaven. And they worshipped him and returned to Jerusalem with great joy and were continually in the temple, praising and blessing God. Amen. Does that capture everything? You can see that there had to be something else. He hadn't mentioned, he didn't mention here the issue of souls being won. He didn't mention here the issue of missions. He didn't mention here the matter of persecution. He didn't mention here the prayers that they prayed. He didn't mention here the, the coming of the Holy Spirit. So the gospel is not, is, the gospel is the beginning, the introduction. We can't stay there. Your being born again is the introduction into the kingdom. You can't sit down there. You must grow. You give birth to a child. And then you leave the child in the hospital. And you go home. Is that how it happens? Okay, you take the child home and the child is not eating. Are you going to be happy? There is no mother that has a baby that is not eating and they are happy. Because that baby will soon die. That's why Peter said in First Peter chapter 2 verse 2 But you as newborn babes desire the sincere milk of the world that you may what? Grow thereby. If you get to Second Peter chapter two, uh, chapter three, the last chapter and the last verse, I think, or second, the last verse, or thereabout, he said, "Grow in grace." I didn't hear him say, "Grow in numbers, grow in attendance." He was talking of growth, internal growth. They spoke more about how you, as an individual, will grow. We need this study to be experiential in our lives. What the English will call experimental. I don't want to use the word experimental because experimental seems like something that you just try and live. No. Experimental, actually, the real meaning of experimental is that something you are doing on and on and on. And it's not just it's something you try and then you, you experiment with it. No, that's, that's not the proper word for experiment. That's why I use the word experiential. If they prayed and the Holy Spirit came and they spoke in tongues and you're not speaking in tongues, start going to pray until you experience it. Do you understand? That's what we want this book to be. We don't want a head knowledge Bible study. We would like to be assured of the gospel. And I would like to grow in the acts. Of the Holy Spirit. That's why it doesn't make sense for someone who is not born again to desire or to just go to church. To do what? As we went out to share the good news, we met many people who told us, and they go to church, and they go this church, and they go that church. And then you ask them, Are you born again? Some of them will tell you yes. By the time you start, you say, Okay, share your testimony. No, I don't want to share it. No, you have to share it. Why do we share the testimony of our salvation? Because the testimony of our salvation actually is, what do you call it now? Is a way. Is a way of spreading the good news of how I changed, how I was changed. So for, the, for an unbeliever, we share it because it can lead that fellow to Christ. For a believer, we are able to vet the fruit of that salvation when we hear it. Let's conclude. We see that the human author of the book of Acts of Apostles is Luke, a medical doctor by profession. But it was not in medicine that he got his renown. It was in doing the work of God that Luke is known for. Likewise, Peter was a fisherman. 
But it was not in fishing that he got his renown. Rather, it was in fishing for men that he became known. Also, we have seen the case of Amos, who was in the profession of agriculture, before God took him and called him into the ministry of prophets. It is the same for countless thousands over the centuries. In the same way, we are not to expect that our ministry will have any direct bearing on our profession or vocation. Rather, the work that God has called us into is to be done by a new man who has been created to manifest the true nature of God, the nature of righteousness and holiness. You see, the work of God is spoiled by unrighteous hands, by unrighteousness, by unholiness. So, for many of us, whatever we are doing now is not yet the work of God. What is happening to us is that God is doing some things and throwing some things in our way to see if we are going to be able to handle it with holiness. Because one unholy act destroys the entire thing. On the other hand, when we look at the audience, we see that the book was written to one man, Theophilus. Besides him being mentioned in Luke 1.3 and Acts 1.1, nothing else is heard of him. And the meaning of the name Theophilus, which is lover of God, speaks more to us than it first appears. The fact that the early Christians did quite a bit of nicknaming to avoid overexposure to civil authorities of their day brings us to the inference that Theophilus was probably another nickname for the believers in the Lord Jesus Christ. And even if that is not the case, we ought to be aware that whatever is said by God to one believer and that becomes public knowledge is usually meant for all believers. To learn from and not fall into the same error where it is negative and where it is positive and to help us make progress in our work with and work for God. So anytime we read the scriptures, we must read it as though God wrote to us. Somebody gave an illustration, I'm not sure, I think it was a book I was reading or something. A man was talking about the Bible. He said, and he used an illustration, but I'll use a modern illustration. Just picture yourself at an airport, any airport in the world, and you meet President Obama at that airport. And you guys sit down together for 15 minutes. You know what it means to sit down with the President of the, for 15 minutes? And you are chatting with the President of America. And he says to you, I'm going to send you a letter. Give me your address. He takes your card or takes your details. And then you, you guys leave. Of course, you say how many things in his head you forget. Then about two weeks later, you receive a mail by courier with a stamp. It, it didn't come from a courier. It came from the United States Embassy in Nigeria to your house. You saw the embassy vehicle. They brought the package to you. A fat document written by the hand of the President of the U.S. What will you do with that package? You will sit down. You, won't, you know you won't eat again. You just lock up. What is he writing? What is, now, the King of Kings and Lord of Lords has written this. How many of us open it? We don't even open it in our services. We don't recognize that it's the King of Kings who wrote it to us. That's our problem. We think it's Luke who wrote it to Theophilus. Let me just read what Luke said to Theophilus. Let me see what Paul wrote to the Corinthians. Was it Corinthians he was writing it to? He wrote it to us. Oh, he wrote to Timothy. Let's see what he wrote to Timothy. Is it Timothy he wrote it to? No, he wrote it to us. They merely gave it that title. Therefore, we conclude that the book of the Acts of the Apostles is the Holy Spirit who is the real author message to us. Those whose message to us is the real author to us, the believers in Christ Jesus. We are the real audience. Do you understand that? If, a new, if, a, if somebody becomes a believer tomorrow, 
That is his letter already written for him. Take. That's what we give him. Take. This is a letter from God to you. I see some strange things that they write now on Facebook and other things. Stop. This is a letter from God to you. Dear son. One short letter. I said that's a letter from I, I don't even look at those things. Have I finished? Have I finished this letter? Let me tell you something about the Bible. The Old Testament was God's model of what he wanted to do. So he made a model of the house he wants to build. It's called the Old Testament. He put it somewhere. Can you live in a model? If you use parts, will the model not break? Can you live in the real thing? Exactly. So when you look at the Old Testament, you are seeing the model. Now, as you look at the real thing, you will be able to tell whether, ah, okay, it looks like it. That's what the model is for. That's what the Old Testament is there. Remove the Old Testament and you don't know what you are building. You can build anything if you remove the Old Testament. Because there is no basis for you to see whether this is what God intended. Remove the Old Testament and you can continue with animal sacrifice. But keep the Old Testament there, you will see that it is not possible for sin to be taken away by animal sacrifice. So Hebrews comes to tell us, you Jews who are still killing animals, it doesn't help you. Christ has paid it up. The blood of bulls and um, goats could not take away sin. So they had to do it every year, but with Christ, the blood of a sinless man, once and forever taken away. So what did he write? And what did he say when he came? He said, I, I come according to, as is written of me in the volume of the books. Because you did not desire sacrifices and offerings, I have come as is written of me in the volume to do your will, O Lord. What are we doing today? We're not doing this will. We're doing something else. Because we don't know that this book was written to us. Some of us feel it was written to the Corinthians, it was written to the Thessalonians, it was written to the Ephesians, it was written to the Colossians. Luke was but a human vessel who documented the things therein for our own benefit, as is the case with all the books of the Bible. 1 Corinthians 10, 6 and 11, and then we'll go to Romans 15. 1 Corinthians 10, 6 and 11, and then we go to Romans 15. 1 Corinthians 10 verse 6. Now these things became our examples to the intent that we should not what? Lost after evil things as they also lost it. So these are lessons for you and I. When they did these things in the Old Testament and God put it there in the letter to you. That you see the way this would behave. Don't go and behave that way. Say you saw how I destroyed them. Don't do that thing that they did so that I don't destroy you. In verse 11. Now, all these things happened to them as, as examples, and they were written for our admonition, upon whom the ends of the ages have come. Did you see how God used Gideon mightily? Yes, that is how I want to use you mightily. Now, did you see that Gideon went and began to collect things and built an effort, and it became a snare unto him? Don't do like that. Do you understand? That's how we read the Bible. That's how we read the letter that God has written to us. Some people say, what is this noise about uh, uh, polygamy? After all, David had many wives. God is saying, you see, David had many wives. Don't go and marry many wives. Marry only one. Eh? Ah, David, my, eh? what of Solomon? Solomon had a thousand wives. Have you seen how foolish Solomon became? With all the wisdom I gave him at the beginning. See how he ended. Don't be like him. That's what the Old Testament tells us. He warns us, it admonishes us. Romans chapter 15, verse 4. For whatever thing, this is so clear. For whatever things were written before, were written for who? Our learning, our instruction. That we, through the patience and comfort of the scriptures, might have what? Hope. What's written to you and I? Whatever. 
We must therefore prepare ourselves to learn about the church of the living God and the early Christians so that we can function, conduct ourselves and serve God as we ought to, as we apply its admonitions and inspirations to ourselves. Praise the name of the Lord. Let's stand to our feet.